Yeah, good morning. <clears throat> and can I add the, a word of welcome to all of you as you've come to share with us in our time of worship today. Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 22 and uh, verses 1 through to 14. And I'll be reading from the NIV translation. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see his guest, he noticed a man there who, had, who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wear, wedding clothes? friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome everyone. It's good to see you all. Three days away from 2020. Isn't that crazy? If I haven't met you before, my name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here. And I want to say right from the beginning that this is a challenging passage. This is a challenging passage. God is going to give us some hard truths this morning. But that shouldn't scare us away from listening in. Because God never challenges us without reason. God never ceases to be love when he challenges us. No, he challenges us for our good, to set us free, to bring good things to us. So we don't need to close off to him, but we can trust him, we can listen to him, and we can hear what he has to say through his word. And like I said, this is our last gathering for 2019. We are three days away from a new decade. And so this is a good time for us to reflect on our lives and especially on our faith in Jesus, to take account. And this is what Jesus' parable gives us an opportunity to do. It gives us an opportunity to reflect and to think about our response to God's generosity. And the reason we need to listen to Jesus and what he has to say here is because this parable shows us that it is quite possible to be in and around God's people but not truly belong. It is quite possible to be in and around church, but not actually be a legitimate follower of Jesus. It is more than possible. And so 
I don't know if you've noticed this morning, but we're sitting in church. And so this passage applies to all of us. None of us can sit back and zone out. We need to hear the warning of the one who loves us. Now, if you're new here this morning, sorry to drop you in on such a heavy message. Um, But again, Jesus doesn't speak the truth to you to hurt you. Jesus said, if you abide in my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It will bring freedom to your life. Our culture might tell you that there's no ultimate truth. Our culture might tell you that you need to make your own meaning and your own way through this world. And maybe that's left you empty and confused and wanting. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. And I want to tell you that there is a God who has created you and created this world. He knows you. He knows how our world works. And he wants to make you his apprentice in life. He wants to show you how life works. He wants to show you how to be truly human, to find purpose and meaning. But that begins with a right relationship with him. And this parable is going to tell us how we should respond to enter into that kind of relationship. So let's listen to Jesus this morning and hear what he has to say to us. We're going to look at three things in the parable. The first thing we're going to look at is the bountiful banquet. The bountiful banquet. If you can take it to my slides, please, that would be amazing. The bountiful banquet. So the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king throwing a banquet for his son. Kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Let me just quickly say something on that. The kingdom of heaven, it represents the rule of God. So it's it's the sphere, it's the domain, it's the place, it's the people in which God's rule has the final say. One day it will ultimately look like a place where there is no sickness, a place where Satan doesn't work any longer, a place where relationships are right. You can kind of see the kingdom breaking in throughout Jesus' ministry. He preached about the kingdom, and he demonstrated the kingdom. He demonstrated the rule of God through the miracles, through the healings, through casting out demons. And so the kingdom has already, in a sense, broken into our world through Jesus. The rule of God is already coming into our world and we already experience glimpses of its beauty. But one day the kingdom will fully and finally come when Jesus returns and establishes it over the whole world and there will be no more tears or crying or pain anymore. It's what we often refer to as heaven. So the kingdom of God represents the rule of God, already broken in but fully and finally will come one day. And so this kingdom of heaven, this rule of God is compared to a king throwing a banquet for his son. And I want to ask you whether you have ever slowed down to notice the generosity of the king. He's extremely generous. He gets the best food ready. He's got his 300 gram eye fillet steak sizzling on the barbie. He's got the royal Dalton china sets on the tables. He's got everything going. Everything's immaculate. It's a feast. It's a party. It's ready. It's absolutely a party that you do not want to miss. Now, in those days, you couldn't just create a Facebook event and invite everyone to it. The way it worked in those days is you would send out two invitations. The first one is you'd go out to the guests and say, hey, a party is coming up. And then the second time, you'd send out the servants, or in this case, the king would send out the servants, and would tell them, the party's now ready, you can come. And so we jump in on that second invitation We enter into the story when the king sends out his servants the second time, he sends them to summon the already invited guests. But strangely, Jesus said, 
they refused to come. Isn't that odd? Isn't that a little strange? That's, that's unexpected. I mean, imagine the CEO of your company sent you a personal invitation to a party. Or if you don't work currently, or, or you don't have a CEO in the business that you work for, imagine that you're working for a multi-million dollar firm in the city, you've got a CEO, and the CEO sends you a personal invitation. Not just a public event for all the employees, but a private event at his own home for a select few of you and your colleagues. And he's gone all out. There are going to be private chefs there that can cook you whatever you want. All the Brisbane Broncos are going to be there. It's going to be a party that you do not want to miss, right? But later on, you're talking to one of your colleagues, and they say something like, you know, you say, oh, are you going to come along to the party? And they say, nah, nah I've got better things to do. Either they're a cowboy supporter or they're insane, right? You'd be like, well, are you okay? Why would someone refuse such an honor? Not only do they miss out on all the enjoyment of this amazing party, but they insult the CEO of their company. But in Jesus' parable, it's at a whole other level because it's not just a CEO inviting some employees, but a king inviting the subjects of his realm. Now, in the ancient world, a king had limitless power. He could basically do whatever he wanted within his realm. He was very powerful, and if he didn't like you, he could just put you to death. In fact, we just talked about during Christmas, the king at the time in Israel was Herod, and he was brutal. He did what he wanted. So no one would have guessed that the guests in Jesus' parable would just refuse to come. But then again, no one would have guessed how the king responded next either. You see, at best, you would have expected him to snub you in return. At worst, you would receive the death penalty. But Jesus is describing a different kind of king altogether, a king who represents God, a king who keeps on trying. So he sends more servants. He tells the guests all about the wonderful things that are ready for them, and he issues the call again, come to the wedding banquet. Come to the wedding banquet. But this isn't just any wedding banquet. This banquet represents what we would call heaven. You see, in Jesus' day, there were expectations that at the end of the time, there would be a huge party. They believed that God's Messiah, a deliverer, would usher in God's reign, the kingdom, through Israel. And we call this celebration the Messianic Banquet. And you see this belief crop up here and there throughout the Gospels. For example, in Luke 14, a man says to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God the messianic banquet. But where do we get the wedding imagery from? In the parable it says it's a a banquet, a wedding. Well, sometimes this glorious future was referred to as a wedding between God and his people. So in Isaiah 62 it says, the nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. No longer will they call you deserted, Or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. And your land, Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. 
Now, there are some things which are so glorious, so awesome, so beautiful, that only a mixture of metaphors and images can begin to describe them. And that's what's going on here in our parable in Isaiah 62. A whole number of metaphors are mixed together. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've seen land get married to someone before. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've seen someone build something and then get married to it. There are images and there are metaphors being mixed together here to stimulate our imagination, to give us an opportunity to grasp at the glorious realities of God's promised future. The banquet, it speaks of joy and gladness and celebration. And the marriage reminds us of the most intimate of human relationships. And to be frank, speaks of the the pleasure that is enjoyed in a good marriage. God is not a killjoy or a religious prude. When he returns to establish his rule once and for all over this world, it will be better than any joy or delight or pleasure you have ever experienced in this world. So this is a party you do not want to miss. Everyone wanted to be there. And a very generous king is going to be hosting. Let me tell you something. This is no mere fable. (laughs) This is the future. This is coming. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, am I going to be there? Not, is, is Joe Blow going to be there? I don't reckon they'll get in. No, but am I? Am I going to be there? And the parable shows us that this depends upon our response. In our parable today, we're given a case study of some terrible responses. And really, they act as a warning for us, telling us what not to do in response to God's generous invitation. So let's take a look at the second thing that we're looking at in the parable, the ghastly guests. The ghastly guests. There are three bad responses in the parable. The first one is carelessness. Carelessness. Jesus talks about these people in verse 5. After they received a second call to come to the party, it says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Now, how common is that these days? How many people do you know who respond to Jesus like this? I see this response especially among those who, who have a church background or a religious background or a family who goes to church. They're just uninterested. Hey, Jesus changed my life. Can I tell you my story? Ah, uh, nah, I've heard it before. I went to kids' church. Hey, want to come to church this Sunday and hear from the God who loves you enough to die for you? Nah, I'm good. Want to get a surfing? Hey, want to come to church this Sunday and, and, and worship God with us? Do you want to hear from God's word with us? Nah, don't like reading. Meh. Careless. This is a very common response, and we will see in a moment that it is just as dangerous as any other. The second response is outright defiance. Defiance. Jesus tells us about this response in verse 6. He says, The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The word mistreated comes from the Greek word hubrizo, which means to abuse to do and say things which bring shame to the victim. So this group basically tortured the messengers before they murdered them. That's an extreme response. 
That's how they responded to the king's generosity. It's shocking. And in the immediate context, the first and second groups, the careless and the defiant, represent the religious leaders of Israel. Jesus is holding up a mirror to them, gets up in their face and says, you were the people originally invited. You know all the promises of the prophets that pointed toward the Messiah. You knew God's kingdom was coming. You were looking forward to it. And I've been telling you that I am the promised one and the kingdom is here, but you are reviling it. Some of you don't care, but the rest of you are violently rejecting God's generosity. So watch out. This parable of Jesus was really a slap in the face of the religious leaders. The defiant guests are not just a fictional group of people. They are the Pharisees, the scribes, those who opposed Jesus. And they did actually end up killing him. They are the religious leaders. And the most loving thing that Jesus can do is wake them up with a strong rebuke. Because if they don't change their response, their end will not be pretty. And the same is true for anyone who defiantly rejects Jesus today. Please don't make that mistake. Please don't. But before we look at what happens to those people, let's take a look at the third and final response as we look at the man without the wedding clothes. The man without the wedding clothes. This man does one thing right. He actually comes to the celebration. But the problem is he doesn't have a wedding garment on. Now we might think, why on earth is that a problem? We look at the king's reaction to him and we think, what could this person have possibly done wrong? Didn't he just get invited from the streets? Maybe he didn't have any wedding clothes to wear. Maybe he came straight to the party and didn't have time to change. How is that wrong? Well, there are a few things I want to say about this. First, we aren't given details about what he owned or how much time he had, so it's better not to speculate about that. And second, this is a parable. Parables do not need to conform to the rules of real-life situations. Sometimes they are deliberately provocative to draw us in and teach us a lesson. Now, those two things aside, there are a couple of options that make sense of this man. The first option is that this man deliberately chose not to wear any wedding garments. Now, the reason we might say this is because there is historical evidence that kings would provide festive clothes free of charge for their guests to wear at these kinds of events. So if that's the correct background to the parable, then this man just snubbed the wedding clothes and deliberately chose not to wear them. He gives us a picture of arrogance and ingratitude. The second option is that the lack of appropriate clothing is just Jesus' way of marking out an invalid disciple, an intruder. Now, not only does this make sense of this strange episode, I mean, in the end, he gets thrown out. He's obviously not part of it. He doesn't belong. He's invalid. But it gains support from the way the word friend is used. You see, in the parable, the king calls the man without the wedding clothes friend. Not because he is close to him, it was just a friendly way of referring to a stranger, just like we can call a stranger mate because we don't know their name. And the word friend is our translation of the Greek word hetaira, hetaira. It only comes up three times in the New Testament, and it comes up later on in our gospel with reference to Judas. When Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, Jesus said to him, do what you came for, friend, hetaira. So perhaps we should see this man without the wedding clothes as a picture of Judas. He's someone who comes along to the party. He's among God's people. 
He sees Jesus work miracles and, and healings. He hears Jesus' teaching. He accompanies even, him even on his mission. But really, he doesn't belong among them. He is an intruder, and he would be found out in the end. So our two options are a man who arrogantly rejects the king's generosity, the wedding clothes, or a man who is an intruder, who simply doesn't belong at the party. Either way, this, this man was unprepared for the king's entrance. And when the king came to question him about his behavior, the text tells us that the man was speechless, meaning he had nothing to say. He had no excuse, and he knew he was guilty. And this man is a warning, especially to us today, because so many of us are like him. Think about it. This man wasn't part of the first two groups who represent the religious leaders. He was invited later. He was part of the anyone and everyone group. Now, I don't think there's too many Jewish religious leaders here, so we're probably more like this guy in that respect. The second thing is, most of us aren't defiant or careless towards Jesus. We at least find Jesus interesting. Most of us either like him, respect him, or love him. And if we received an invitation to a party with Jesus, we'd go along. But the real question is not whether we would attend, but whether we would be prepared for God's arrival at the party. Would he come up to us and say, sorry, who are you? I don't think you belong here, friend. God is extremely generous in his invitation. And yes, many are invited, but few are chosen. That's the big conclusion of the parable. Many are invited. God is generous, but few are chosen. God is not weak. God is not a pushover. There is a right way to respond to him. And we need only to look at his responses to the guests to figure this out. This is the third and final thing that we will look at in the story. The righteous response. The righteous response. So how do you respond to the careless? Well, the careless he left to their own devices. They were careless, they walked away, and so God stopped persisting with them. He left them outside of the party. And you might be sitting here this morning, and you might feel pretty unconcerned about the things of God. You might think you'll deal with them later on in life. But this response is just as dangerous as the others in the parable. If you do not come to your senses and seek God while time remains, you will be left outside of the party when he returns. So come while the invitation is open. Come to the wedding banquet. What about the defiant group, the second group? They completely abused God's grace toward them. He sent messengers to them with an extremely generous invitation and they responded by torturing them and murdering them. And we need to know that God is not weak. He's not a pushover. He's the king. He is the king. So when he heard about their treason, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. God's offer of grace and generosity goes out to many people, but it's really important how we respond to it. Our response matters. And if you've walked in here today and you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, then I want you to hear me. God loves you. He is good. He wants to give you more good than you can imagine. 
But if you want to experience that, you need to come under his rule. You might hate the idea of having a higher authority over your life, but if you don't call Jesus your king, he will one day become your judge. Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you surrendered to the rule and the authority of the generous king, Jesus? What about the third type of guest? How will God respond to those represented by the man without the wedding garment, who we might call the intruder? Well, let's read about it. After the man had no excuse to offer, the king said, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The intruders will be excluded just like the careless were. And please understand that it is not a nice place to be outside of the party. Those who are outside are are in anguish. They're weeping, they're crying, they're grinding their teeth, just wishing that they would have responded differently. Jesus' wedding banquet is a party that you do not want to miss. So we want to not only accept the invitation and come to the party, but we want to be wearing the wedding clothes. But how do we know that we are wearing the wedding clothes? Well, the question we need to ask is, what does an authentic follower of Jesus look like? Is it someone who tells you they prayed a prayer? Is it someone who goes to church on Sundays? Is it someone who has been baptized? What does an authentic follower of Jesus look like? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, our words mean nothing if they aren't matched by obedience. We can say Jesus is Lord all we want, but if we don't actually obey him, our words are meaningless. In fact, this is exactly the kind of lesson that Jesus tries to get across the religious leaders in the parable just before the one that we're looking at today. This is the parable. He said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. And they condemned themselves with that answer. Because Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. These tax collectors and prostitutes, the one who said no to God at first, are entering ahead of you. Why? Because they believed and repented. They obeyed John the Baptist and Jesus' message to repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Their genuine belief flowed out into genuine observable actions. Their genuine belief flowed out into genuinely observable actions. And, you know, we talk a lot about the grace of God at this church, and rightly so. God is gracious. But we need to be careful in our insistence upon the grace of God that we don't water down faith and belief into something that doesn't mean anything. Paul, the apostle, the one who we often most associate with the belief that we are saved by grace alone. He preached that we are saved by grace through faith alone. 
Just look at Ephesians 2. But he had to deal with this issue where people thought, okay, I'm saved by grace, so I can just do whatever I want. In Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. He's, he's, he's like horrified at that response. The Greek words meganoita basically means, and excuse my language, hell no. He says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He doesn't say walk in a perfect life, but it's going to be a new life. It's going to be a life of repentance. The gospel of grace, the good news of grace, doesn't lead to the response Let's continue in sin so that grace may abound. doesn't lead to the response, hey, Jesus has saved me and I'm going to make his grace abound this weekend at that party. It doesn't lead to that. It leads to progressive repentance. Martin Luther helped us understand this when he said, we are saved by faith alone, amen. But that faith that saves is never alone. It never looks like a man without wedding garments. It never looks like a person who just comes along for the ride. True God-given faith is a faith that leads to repentance. And repentance means to turn around, to change direction, and to follow Jesus. I mean, this just makes sense, right? In the real world, we know that true belief results in true change. You know, if I believe that I need to drink water to survive, I'm going to, my actions are going to be drinking water. If I believe someone has poisoned a jug of water, I'm not going to drink from it. It would be absolutely crazy if I said, I believe this water is poisoned. I poured it and drank from it in front of you. You would think, something is wrong with me. But yet sometimes in churches, we act like it is perfectly normal for someone to say, I believe Jesus is Lord, and go on as if nothing has changed. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this same Jesus put his money where his mouth is. He obeyed the will of the Father unto death. Jesus knew that his path would lead to crucifixion, and the night before he died, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup, this judgment, be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. The same Jesus who said, Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. This Jesus obeyed the will of the Father right until the end. He did it perfectly. And through his obedience, he secured a gracious invitation for us to the wedding banquet. Jesus' generous invitation is written in his blood. It cost him everything to give it to you and to me. He's extremely generous. 
He's extremely gracious. He's extremely kind. He loves you enough to die for you on the cross. But he's not weak. So let's give him the response that he deserves. Let me pray. Lord, help us. Help us to understand this, Lord. I just pray, Father, Holy Spirit, come and make this truth real for us. Help us to understand it correctly, Lord. Help us not to plunge down into guilt and shame. There is a Savior we can run to. But we know that when we put our faith in you and you fill us with the spirit of faithfulness, our lives will look different. Lord, help us not to cheapen your grace, but to obey you. Lord, we just repent of the ways in which we often just think there are areas of your word that we can ignore or neglect. Help us, Lord. May we be a church that obeys you. We know we will never be perfect, but we ask that you would continue to work in us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us. Lord, we hear you this morning. We love you. You are our king. We bow our knees before you. Have your way. We submit to your authority. Help us to stop running our own lives. May you run them. May you be the leader of our lives. We love you, Jesus. I just pray, Father, that our hearts this morning would be good and fertile soil, that your word would go deep down into our hearts and bear fruit, bear good fruit, fruit a hundredfold. We pray and ask this as your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? And hear this blessing from God's word. It's a blessing that God gives to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Welcomes me the kindness of mercy that born with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving your son. 